All right, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dean Salami. I am just one of the many servants here at Gateway, and today I could to serve you by bringing you the Word of God. Okay? Today is the second installment of our summer series, the five-week five series, Three Words That Changed Everything. Now, we're going to look at a familiar passage of Scripture, and I don't presume to teach you anything new. But what I'd like for us is to be reminded of things that we already know, especially in these crazy times we seem to be living in. So, with this as a background, we will be covering a lot of material today. So we're going to go through 19 verses. It may feel like a lot to you, but I will do my best to guide you through. Now, if you guys are good with that, say amen. Good, because it's coming at you anyway, okay? All right, let me start us off with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to get together. We live in one of those countries in the world where this is um, allowed, and we don't suffer any backlash from it. We don't take this lightly, Father, because we recognize that our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world don't have this great privilege. We would ask that you would be with them. But we'd also ask, Lord God, that you don't allow us to be slack in this privilege that you've granted us. You've called us to a good work, and today is going to be a reminder of that. And so I pray, Father God, that despite the faults of this, your servant, you would allow your word to come forward and bless your people. Take this time, Lord God, and teach us something that we need to know, that we might live thereby and bring honor and glory to your great and holy name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what do you do when life is going well, you are enjoying a particularly satisfying time in life, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, something comes to rock you to your core. It threatens everything in your life, your hopes, your dreams, even your future. What do you do when you realize the one shaking you is God. Well, our story today, Genesis 22, we're going to learn exactly what happens because Abraham has to experience that. Well, Abraham, in Genesis 22, Abraham finds himself in just this situation, and we're going to see how he responds. Jewish tradition refers to this as the akedah, the offering up, the offering up of Isaac. Now today, my, I only have three major points for us to consider. Very simple. And let me give you my outline right up front, okay? We're going to look at the shocking request, the surprising response, and then the simple reminders. I'll say that again. The shocking request, the surprising response, and the simple reminders. So verse, verses 1 and 2, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. For those of you familiar with this story, this chapter is the defining moment in the faith journey of Abraham. His story began in Genesis 12. God called him out of a life of pagan worship and into a faith relationship with him. 
All the peoples of the earth were going to be blessed through Abraham and his descendants. This was one of the um, promises that God had uh, made to him. There was one problem, though. Abraham and Sarah couldn't have kids. God said to this, when when they spoke to him about this problem, God said, no problem. I have that covered. And he promised them a son. That son will be the means by which Abraham will become a great nation, and that nation will be the the vehicle which all the people of the earth would be blessed. And God keeps his promise. Isaac, the promised son, arrives, and after one particularly distressing event that we'll get to here in a moment, Abraham settles down to enjoy the incredible blessing that God provided. Oh, by the way, did I mention that God made them wait about 25 years for this promise to come? Now, when we come to this uh, passage, there are three things that I want us to make note of. That first one is, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Now, if you were familiar with the story, you know Isaac was not Abraham's only son. He had another one, his firstborn, Ishmael. And the whole idea with Ishmael was at the behest of Sarah. She contrived that. And Abraham was both a willing and probably an eager participant in this plan. But that didn't turn out so well. When Sarah finally had Isaac, she did not want, Abraham, she did not want Ishmael to have anything to do with Isaac. Abraham went from having no children to two strapping sons. And so you could see when, it, when Sarah came to Abraham and said, I want him gone, you could see how distressing this was. God encourages Abraham to listen to Sarah with the promise that he, God, will take care of Ishmael and bless him too. Abraham complies. So Isaac is not only the son of promise, he's the only son that Abraham has left. And this son, his only son, God is asking for him to sacrifice. That promise of Abraham becoming a great nation is looking pretty shaky right now. Now, the next thing for us to notice is that he says, and go to the region of Moriah, a mountain I will show you. So God wants Abraham to uh, to sacrifice the only remaining son he has, and is not going to tell him exactly where he is going? You know, this almost sounds cruel until you realize that there's a strange, familiar tone to it. See, back in Genesis 12, this is exactly how God approaches Abraham the first time they met. There he tells Abraham to leave his country, his people, and his father's house, and to go to a land that he will show him. It takes faith to go somewhere that you don't know where you're going to. It takes faith in a very big way. But from that encounter, from their first encounter uh, in Genesis 12, anywhere from 35 to 45 years have passed. It depends on how old Isaac is at the time of the request. He's not as young as that video makes you think. He may have been about a preteen maybe a middle to late teen, 
and possibly a young adult. Is Abraham the same man he was 35 to 40 years ago? God is not being cruel, but he is looking for something. Knowing this, though, does not make his request any less shocking. Now, the third thing I'd like for us to take a look at here is this little thing that he says. Sacrificed him there as a burnt offering. This is a doozy. Because if we strip away the cultic language, right, and just boil it down to just plain English, what God is saying is, I want you to take Isaac, the only son you have left, you have left the one you love, I want you to kill him and then burn him. Whether you're a parent or not, this just does not feel right. Just a few chapters earlier, back in chapter 18, when Abraham found out about God's plan to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he immediately thought about his own nephew Lot. He asked God, you're not going to destroy the, wicked, the righteous with the wicked, are you? Will not the judge of all the, rot, the earth do right? But doesn't Abraham's situation want you to intercede on his behalf and ask God a similar question? You can't be serious about this, can you? But God is serious, but not serious in the way you think. Still, there's two questions that we need to, this scene actually begs for us. The first is, why would God ask this of Abraham? Actually, we are told from the very beginning of this chapter why. It's a test. I mentioned earlier that God is looking for something in Abraham. Is he the same man he was when they first met? The test is designed to answer that question. But then that begs another question. Why do we need to be tested? Doesn't God just love us anyway? But the answer to that question is found in Hebrews 11.6. It says there, and without faith... It is impossible to please God. Now, by please, I'm not referring to a God who is tyrannical and he, he's just demanding and distant. I'm talking about the pleasure God gets when you place your trust in him and live your life accordingly, especially when things get tough. Now, let me give you an illustration. See, I am in a seminary right now, okay? I'm pursuing my Master's of Theology degree. I love everything that I'm learning. But what I don't like are the quizzes, the exams, and the papers that I have to write. See, in my humble opinion, seminary would be a whole lot more pleasurable without all that, right? But here's the thing. Those quizzes, exams, and papers, without them, there'd be no telling whether or not I've met the requirements for that degree. The seminary takes great pleasure in, completing, in me completing my degree requirements, and they celebrate it. You know how they celebrate it? It's called a graduation, where all your friends and family come to see how, you, how you've, you've made up your, your, your um, accomplishments. Now, well, in the same way, God takes great pleasure in blessing us. But here's a trick. He usually extends the blessing first and then brings the test a little later, like in our scenario here. He blesses Abraham with Isaac, and then he comes with the test. 
The thing he is looking for is whether we actually trust him or do we just want what he gives. Will we trust him even when things don't make sense? And that's what's on the table for Abraham. Don't let yourself off the hook here. If you've been walking with the Lord any length of time, he's looking for the same thing in you. He's looking for the same thing in all of us. Now, are you guys tracking with me? If you are, say amen. Okay, we've tracked the first point that I wanted to make, the shocking request. Now, let's move to our second point, the surprising response. Allow me to read for you verses 3 to 10. And Pete, could you bring that up on the screen for us, please? Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took him, he took with him, rather, two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he, he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God will himself, I mean, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. There are a few things in this section that I think is totally surprising to me. Three in particular. The first thing that I see, which does not occur in this section, is what we read in verse chapter 1. Did you catch it? When God calls Abraham's name, his response was, here I am. Those three words changed everything. You may be thinking, what's the big deal? It's a pretty huge deal, given Abraham's past. Abraham's response is equivalent to saying, I am at your disposal. Or, maybe even, whatever you want, you will get. Now, back in Genesis 15, God comes to Abraham and tells him not to be afraid. He appears in a vision, and God promises to be his shield and his very great reward. God Almighty tells Abraham he will protect him and reward him greatly. You know what Abraham's response to this was? Well, you know what? Um, That's good and all, but I have a problem. I don't have a child. What will you do for me to solve my problem? Note the difference now in chapter 22. All God does here is call Abraham's name, and and he responds by effectively saying to him, Whatever you want from me, God, you're going to get. Before God even makes the request, Abraham is prepared to give him everything. Here I am. This is a game changer. Now, we need to pause here for a second because I know many of us are not here yet. 
if God called our names today, we probably wouldn't even recognize his voice. Even if we did, we would respond like, would we respond like Abraham? Or would we be incredulous or even angry for God even asking such a thing of us? With all the years we have been walking with the Lord and the tremendous blessings he's re- we received from him, have we turned the corner in our relationship with him, like Abraham is doing here? Or are we effectively the same people we were when we first met him? Whatever your answer to these questions, you just need to know this. Your test is coming. This is an origin story, okay? Abraham will show us what trusting in God looks like for all the people of faith throughout all time and every place. The only acceptable answer when God calls your name is here, I am. And he meant, he asks us to, um, or we're supposed to answer that question without reservation. It should not matter what he asks, no matter what he asks, just be prepared to give him what he wants. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about this when we do our wrap up. Now the next surprising thing um, um, Abraham does is how he meticulously goes about complying with God's request. Notice what he does. He gets up early the next morning. He cuts the wood for the offering. He takes a three-day journey with Isaac to the region of Moriah. Three days is a long time to have this weight sitting on you. And time will always tell on you, for the good or for the bad. He climbs the mountain. He builds the altar. He lays the wood. He binds Isaac's hands and his feet. He lays Isaac on the altar, and then he reaches for his knife. Remember when I asked, when I, uh, asked if God was serious about this request? Well, there is no question Abraham is just as serious because he's not taking any shortcuts to complying with God's request. Parents, I want you to consider something. You've got these little ones running about with you today. I'm going to ask you a question. How would you feel if God came to you and asked you to do this? I'm not saying, I'm not asking how, what would you do? I'm asking you, how would you feel? Because whatever you're feeling right now, Abraham probably felt the same way. But Abraham did not let his feelings dictate what he was going to do. He did what God asked him to do. So this begs a question, doesn't it? How did Abraham do this? How was he able to do this? And this brings me to my third surprising point. Despite the terrible task that is in front of him, Abraham is confident in God. Notice what he says in verses 5 and 8. He said to his servants, thank you, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy, while, uh, I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Now, mind you, he has not really spoken to God since God said to go sacrifice Isaac. But yet he is confident that when he and Isaac come up that, go up that hill, 
he and Isaac will be coming back down. He also goes on to say, when Isaac asked him about where the lamb was, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Where does he get this from? How did he come to this understanding? Well, if you take a look in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews helps us to answer this question. He says in Hebrews 11, 17 to 19, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He, would, he who embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Notice that the, what the writer of Hebrews said concerning Abraham. He embraced the promises. That's a pretty important deal here. It means, that word embrace, it means that Abraham received, accepted, or welcomed the promises. The promises, plural, not just about his son, but everything that God had said. He accepted the entire package that God had promised. The, that, that, his, that he was going to get a son, that the descendants would grow into a unique people group, and that that people group would be the means by which God would bless the entire world. Abraham took God at his word. And because he took God at his word, Abraham was able to reason. God could raise Isaac from the dead if he had to kill him. That is why he is so confident and he could keep God's word. In order for God to keep his word, Isaac would have to live somehow. Either he would be spared or he would be raised. Now, do we think and reason in this way? Is our trust in God like this? If he asks us something either impossible, difficult, or seemingly hopeless, we know that God can't break his promise, right? But are we able to reason in such a way that moves us in obedience? Abraham was able to. And we need to keep in mind that this is not the first time God is asking Abraham to act in faith in a seemingly hopeful, um, hopeless situation. Remember Sarah? Her womb was dead. And by the time God came to promise the son, he says this, well, he's, in addition, she was well past childbearing age. She was no, there was no possible way that she could conceive, but God came and promised that when he made the promise, a year later, Isaac was going to come. Now, this was not the Immaculate Conception, okay? God doesn't need two people in Immaculate, I'm sorry, the Immaculate Conception. The only, uh, that means that Abraham and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah had to believe. And there was business to attend to in order for that to come. Their past attempts were futile. And Sarah now is well past the age of bearing children. But yet at God's word, they, still, they still attend to business to bring that conception to pass. This was not the first time that God asked Abraham to engage in activity that seemed hopeless but had a point to it. 
Abraham already saw God bring life from a dead womb. Because of God, Abraham had Isaac to sacrifice. In Abraham's mind, if he actually had to kill his son, resurrecting Isaac from the dead would not be any more difficult than bringing life to a dead womb. Now, we know that God would later show that he does have the power to resurrect. Amen? He sent his son to die in our stead. He atoned for our sins by hanging on the cross. He died, and on the third day, he got back up. Amen? Now, here I am. Can you begin to see why those three words changed everything? It is a statement of reorientation. It's a shift from Abraham trying to bring about his own plans to being at the ready so that God can use Abraham to carry out his plans. Let me say that again. It's a statement of reorientation. It's a shift from Abraham trying to bring about his own plans to him being at the ready so that God can use Abraham for, to carry out his plans. Whatever you want from me, I will give you because I trust you, God. Because Abraham saw how God is faithful to his promises, it changed him. It changed the way he thought. It changed the way he saw the world. It changed the way he behaved, the way he lived his life. Our faith is meaningless unless it's tested. Without tests, our faith is little more than wishful thinking. Tests are designed to see if our trust in God has changed us like it did Abraham. Has our faith in God changed the way we think? The way we see the world? The way we live our lives? God may not ask us to sacrifice a child. He may ask something very different, but something just as difficult. When he calls your name, how will you respond? Now I want you to take just 60 seconds and talk to God about that. Ask him where you are. Be honest with him about that. Do you struggle with this? Don't be ashamed. Talk to him about it. If you don't know God in this way, but you want to, take this time to talk to him. And then come see me after the service. I would love to talk to you. So, Take 60 minutes to pray. Okay. We've gotten through our first two points. The shocking request, the surprising response. Let's start to wrap up our conversation here. I won't take too much time here because I just realized how much time has already gone by. All right. The simple reminders. The simple reminders. Verse 11, it says, But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay, hand, lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from him or from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there was in a thicket. He saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time, and he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, 
your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Again, notice how Abraham responded when his name was called again. Here I am. With knife in hand, he was just as ready to hear what God wanted him to do as he was three days before. He probably thought when God told him don't harm the boy, he probably breathed the biggest sigh of relief of his entire life. He probably thought to himself, thank God, right? The first thing we were reminded of, the simple reminder, is that God is good. His intention was never to harm Abraham or Isaac. And Abraham knew this. But he will sometimes ask some hard things. Notice I said will and not might. It's only a matter of time. In those difficult moments, keep this simple reminder, God is good. Why? Because our circumstances sometimes color how we perceive God. But God doesn't change, circumstances notwithstanding. He is always good, and because of it, we can trust him and make ourselves available to him. Did you notice anything strange in this last section? Draw your attention to something peculiar God says. He says, now I know that you fear God. Is that, is that saying that God didn't know something? Now, we know that can't be true. God is all-knowing, right? Maybe God is saying that for Abraham's benefit, to show Abraham how much he really feared God. Well, that doesn't really fit the context of what we've been reading because Abraham already showed that he wasn't wavering in his obedience to God's command. And he was already convinced that God was going to make do and supply for them. Well, this is simple reminder number two. God is relational, and he wants to experience our faith in action. He's not some distant deity who is ruthless and demanding. He wants to be involved with us, and in the process, we get to experience him too. And this is how we begin to build more trust in him. In verses 16 to 18, God reconfirms his promises to Abraham. And paramount in that section is God's plan to bless the world and the role Abraham is going to play in that. And that's the simple reminder number three. God has a plan for the world and we have a purpose in his plan. Right from the beginning of creation, God intended for the world to be a, uh, he, he created an environment in the world for life to flourish. And we messed that up. But God has been on a mission to restore his creation. And Abraham is going to be a vital part of God's plan. And so are we. The part we play in the plan is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. So let me close with this. Those are the only three. God is good. God is relational. God has a plan for the world. And you have a purpose in that plan. Let me share with you a thought from the Apostle Paul. 2 Timothy 1, 11 to 12, he says this. 
And of this gospel I was appointed, a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. This letter is the last known letter Paul wrote. It is believed that he died shortly thereafter. You would think that he would have great fear and trepidation with the prospect of him giving his life for the gospel. But what we see is the very opposite. Paul trusted God with his very soul. And in the prospect of his impending death, he continued to trust God. Paul passed this test by giving his life. When God called his name, like Abraham, his response was, here I am. The question for you today is, where are you? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We're grateful for this opportunity to be able to look into your word and have it be a mirror to us. Are we like your servant Abraham? Forgive us if we aren't. But we're grateful, Lord God, because just as you were patient with Abraham, we know you will be patient with us. So strengthen us to the task, Father. We say collectively now and today, here we are. Whatever you want from us, we want to give you, and you will get, because you have shown yourself to be a good and giving God. You sacrificed your own son for us. The least we can do is give you all that we have. Hear our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.